So, my wife was surprised this morning. She goes, you know, God isn't going to give you more than you can handle. And I said, yes, he does. <laughs> Actually, he does it all the time. Um, but that's why we lean on the Spirit, right? Um, because uh, this is going to be uh, one of those tests. In fact, God also has a sense of humor. Um, because, and here's a few reasons why. One, you'll notice that the children are staying in service today as well. To, in the last Sunday of the month, we leave the children in service. It's a family service. It's an opportunity for them to, just to see how a church service is. And, and kids, this is not normal. I just want to let you know that right now. Um, God also has a sense of humor because uh, Nick's sermon that he had planned today has a lot to do with the Reformation. And that's going to be... Wait till you hear some of this. This is it's pretty deep stuff. And then we're also going to be reading out of Psalms. And admittedly, that's my most challenging book. So in many ways this morning, we're going to have a really good time today. So um, I really appreciate you uh, being here. I'm glad for those of you who decided to stay. Um, I appreciate that too. <laughs> so let me just, uh, there's going to be a lot of times I'll be reading um, just sharing from what Nick has to say, and, and I'm just, we're going we're gonna to see what God does this morning. So um, I'm just going to start. Um, like I said, Nick decided that he wanted to start with the Reformation 499 years ago. Um, in fact, on October 31st, tomorrow in 1517, uh, Martin Luther nailed his 95 thesis on the Wittenberg doors, beginning the Reformation. Robert is ecstatic right now. He loves every bit of this. <laughs> Um, the Catholic Church was in, uh, had invented indulgences, and the indulgences were a, a full or partial remission of temporal punishments for sins. In essence, it was a certificate guaranteeing the buyer that the time in purgatory would be reduced and remitted by up to, and get this, 1,902,202 years and 270 days. That's just a short, brief moment in time. Uh, Pope Leo was using indulgences to pay for the completion of St. Peter's Basilica. So that was the intent of what they were doing during that time. Dominican Johann Tetzel was the marketer of indulgences, and this is what he would say. Listen to the voices of your dear dead relatives and friends, beseeching you and saying, pity us, pity us. We are in dire torment from which you can redeem us from a, pit, uh, from a pittance. Will you let us lie here in flames? Will you delay our promised glory? And then Tetzel would say, as soon as the coin in the coffer rings, the soul from purgatory springs. The papacy was manipulating people to give money. That's what they were doing during that time. But worse than that, the papacy was advocating forgiveness of sins through indulgences, not faith in God. So Luther posted his 95 Theses, uh, not necessarily uh, began a Reformation, but to start a conversation. But soon it would become apparent that the Catholic Church would not be reformed. The argument between Luther and the papacy centered on the authority of God's word. And while the Catholic Church did not deny the authority of God's word, they had elevated the papacy in councils and thus minimized the word of God. It's because of this Luther wrote... His holiness, and that he's referring to the Pope at this time, his holiness abuses scriptures. 
I deny that he is above Scripture. He went on to write, Scripture alone is the true Lord and master of all writings and doctrine on earth. He also said, a simple layman armed with Scripture is to be believed above a pope or council without it. Now eventually, as many of you probably know, Luther is going to be excommunicated from the church, but that's not going to stop him. And in 1534, with help, he he translated the Old and New Testaments into German. Uh, By translating the Bible so so all could read it, Luther exposed the lies of the papacy and brought the power of God's word to everyone. If you notice that today's title, if you look on your sermon notes, on on your bulletin, which I will eloquently tear this time, you can tear out your notes, use these in your little binder, our sermon is going to be on the external word. We're talking about the Bible today. In fifth, I'm sorry, um, Luther called the Bible the external word, and this was to emphasize that it is objective, it's fixed, it's outside of ourselves, and therefore unchanging. Uh, the external word comes with the full authority of God and is perfect in every way. Today we'll be looking at what the Bible has to say about itself. Now we're going to be reading out of Psalms this morning, Psalms 119. Um, it has 176 verses, so of course it's the longest chapter in the Bible, the longest psalm of the most complicated book for Bill to read. <laughs> it's broken into 22 stanzas, uh, each with eight verses. 171 of the 176 verses references God's word. And this psalm will, be, will use many different words to refer to God's word, words like law, commandments, statutes, word, precepts, rules, and testimonies. By doing this, the psalmist is emphasizing all of God's revealed word. Before we begin, um, Nick wants me to read a quote. Uh, This is by Kevin DeYoung. He says, Surely it is significant that the intricate, finely crafted, single-minded love poem, the longest in the Bible, is not about marriage, or children, or food, or drink, or mountains, or sunsets, or rivers, or oceans, but about the Bible itself. Let's take a moment to pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. We ask that you just open our hearts and our minds to the word, to the word that is going to be flowing through this morning. Father, let it fill us. Let us just be open to what you have to say. And let us, let us hear. Let us hear with the heart and the mind that we need to have for this morning. Father, I ask that you use me as a vessel. This is your sermon, not mine. And we pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So we're going we're gonna to start. We're going to turn to Psalm 119. We're only going to read the first 16 verses. So if you take a moment, please stand with me as we read uh, from the psalm. Hopefully, if I can get my iPad open. Psalm 119, verses 1 through 6. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame. Having my eyes fixed on all of your commandments, I will praise you with an upright heart. When I learn your righteous rules, I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. 
With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. You can be seated. So if you follow along in your, in your notes this morning, I will do the best I can to stick to them. And I think some of them are going to be up behind me. Make sure I get all my notes in order here. So we're going to start off today by just sharing that God has given us his external word for our joy. This is a way for him to communicate with us. And in verses 1 and 2, we read that the one who keeps God's word is blessed. The word blessed means to be highly favored, full of happiness. And in verse 3, we see that to walk in his ways is to do no wrong. And in verse 6, by fixing our eyes on God's commandments, we will not be put to shame. God's word is good. And if you look at verse 14, the psalmist says, In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. And if you notice, the the psalmist does not say your testimonies are as good as some treasure, but all riches. Not just some, but all riches. And in verse 16, he says, I will delight in your statutes. The psalmist loves the word of God. To be in love with the word of God. Now, to delight in something is to take a high degree of pleasure in it. This is where I'm going to stray from Nick's sermon because I do not have good golf stories. I hate golf, actually. I'm not a golfer. And Nick, I know this is being recorded, and if you listen to this, I will not be playing golf with you. So, <laughs> But there are some things that we can delight in. I mean, with just a show of hands, how many of us delight in cleaning the bathroom? <laughs> cleaning around the toilet, that's always a fun job to do. That one. Lauren is the only one who's smilingly admitting that she likes to clean the bathroom. Um, Okay, Um, how about getting a filling at the dentist? How many of us delight in getting a... Okay, there's one, two. Yes, having your teeth drilled is always a joy for everyone. Um, I personally, I delight in spending time with my family. I delight in seeing Jacob laugh. Uh, We had a good time watching uh, Gremlins last night. Um... Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a Christmas movie, but it's kind of, a, kind of not. And uh, I did delight in, in watching him watch the movie. Um, uh, I will be delighting this evening as I watch the Philadelphia Eagles beat the Dallas Cowboys tonight. That will be, that's, that, it's going to happen, Brian, just going to say. Uh, I will be delighting in that this evening as well. Um, but these are things that we can delight in, but I don't think... It's the same level of delight that we should have in reading the word. Here the psalmist says um, he has a high degree of pleasure in God's word. And I'm going to point out two ways that the psalmist delights in God's word. First, he delights to keep the external word. If you read in verse 5, he says, Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Jump ahead to verse 10. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. 
Jumping ahead to verse 20, my soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. Now, it's important to remember the psalmist is not saying he wants to keep God's word in order to be saved. It is because he has faith in God. He wants to keep the external word. The external word is a delight to him. It's like honey to his lips. And Jesus affirms this in John 15, 20. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Evidence of our love for God is that we would want to obey the external word. That we are going to want to obey. It's a desire. It's a delight to obey in God's word. Number two is that he delights to know the external word. We're going to jump a little bit ahead in in Psalms. In verse 18, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things of your law. Verse 27, make me understand the way of your precepts and I will meditate on your wondrous works. Jump ahead to verse 33. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes and I will keep it to the end. Here's we're going to see that the psalmist wants to know the external word. He wants to know the external word. Reading and studying the external word is not and should not be a chore. It's not like doing the laundry. It's not like cleaning around the toilets. It's not like going to the dentist or, or picking up pine cones in our yard. It's what the psalmist wakes up, wake up, wakes up eager to do each morning. I'm not a morning person, but there is something invigorating about reading the word in the morning. It's something that you can wake up to do. I personally, I think it's also good to read it before you go to sleep. Get some good dreams. Um, But here we see that the psalmist is excited. He's excited about knowing the external word. He meditates on it. He thinks about it. He learns it. We bask in it, just like we're basking out in the sun on a nice Well, today's not a warm, sunny day, but you know what I mean. It's a warm, sunny day when we get to bask in reading of the word. And isn't this similar to what Paul says in Philippians uh, 3.8? I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And Paul's saying right here that nothing is better than knowing Jesus. There is nothing better than knowing God. In fact, in Ephesians 1, he prays that the church would be given a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. So does the external God, word of God thrill your soul? Do you take joy in opening God's word? Or do you think of it more of like reading a dictionary or, well, that's, I'm, I'm sorry, Robert. I, I know you like reading the dictionary. Um, or reading a, Nick wrote it down. Or reading a college reference book. <laughs> uh, you only go to, do you read it as though you're only going to look for a certain fact? That you're looking for um, something to back up what you're saying? If that is how you are, if that's the only reason why you're reading God's word, I'm going to ask you to repent. Now you may say, hold on, hold on. Why do I need to repent? It's because the external word has been given to us as a means of grace that we would know God. That we would know God. The external word is infallible and contains the very authority of God. And contains... Uh, therefore, to dismiss the external word is to dismiss God. So we're not to read it as just a textbook, as though we're using it as a reference. We're to read God's external word to develop a relationship with him in order for us to get to know God. 
This is why the sola scripture was so important in the Reformation. The Catholic Church had minimized the significance of the external word, thus minimizing God. This is why Luther was adamant in translating the word, and so were men like Tyndale and Calvin. These men risked their lives so the church would be able to read the external word and not depend upon the popes and councils. It's through the external word we know we are saved by faith through grace and not by works. It's through the external word we know there is assurance in our faith in Jesus Christ. It is through the external word we know that there is no condemnation for those who believe in Jesus. It's through the external word we know Jesus is coming back to judge all sin, to gather his church into the new heavens and the new earth. And it's also through the external word that we know how to parent, how to love our spouses, how to work with one another, how to love with others, how to share the gospel, and to live at a citizen, as a citizen in God's kingdom. Okay, so be encouraged. In your laps, hopefully, right now, you have this book. It is the external word. and It is the infallible word of God. God has given it to you, to all of us, that you would be full of his eternal and satisfying joy. And it's through the external word that we not only taste of the joy of Christ, but now we also have a foretaste of the wedding feast that we will enjoy when he returns. It's this joy that does not rush about us like a rush that we get when we're riding a roller coaster, um, which for those of you who like roller coasters, we know that it's a thrill for about, I don't know, a minute and 20 seconds, but then that joy fades. And if you don't like roller coasters, that's a horrible analogy. So don't use that one at all whatsoever. <laughs> but I personally, I love roller coasters. But it's right. It's true. It's a, it's a joy that lasts for just a short period of time. It's why I personally, when I'm watching the Olympics, I like watching the marathon. I love watching the marathon. Don't get me wrong. Usain Bolt is fast. He's quick. It's exciting. But then you kind of want more. But if you watch that marathon, these guys are gutting it out. They're running so hard, and it's, it's a race. It is a true race that is long-lasting, and I find oddly satisfying. I don't know why, because I am not a marathon runner at all whatsoever. Um, however, this joy that begins like a spark in the woods um, and is more and more as we read the external word of God, the more that, wor- that sparks that growth, it's like a growth like a campfire. Starts off with like a little spark. And then we get the embers. And then you blow on it just a little bit more and it comes into a little flame. And then soon that campfire becomes a larger fire. Feed a little bit more wood into it. And what do you get? You start getting a bonfire. And it burns. And it burns hot. That is how our relationship should be when we're reading the external word. Number two God has given us the external word so we would live godly lives. In verse 9, we see that the external word guards us for purity's sake. Jumping over to verse 11, we read that the external word keeps us from sin. Just as an anchor keeps a boat from crashing into the shore or into the hidden reefs that would decimate it, so too the external word keeps us from sin that seeks to overcome our souls. Just like guards that protect the castle from an enemy invasion, 
so too the external word protects us from the onslaught of sin. We don't overcome sin by our own willpower. We can't. We can't do it alone. We overcome sin by trusting in the promises of God that we find in the external word. So parents, for those of you who are parents out there, if you want to help your children overcome things like lying, maybe cheating, uh, picking on their siblings, um, which I guess Pastor Nick put that in there for, for Ben and Hannah and Caleb. I guess, are you guys picking on each other at home? Is, is that happening? No, no. Hannah's saying no adamantly, so I believe them. <laughs> if, we want to, if we want to get them to change, stop giving them powerless words and instead give them the power of the external word. Take them to our perfect, righteous God that we see clearly in the external word. And how does it do this? How does it do this? Let's look at verse 7 again. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. Now, there's two things we can learn here. Number one, the external word is righteous. Just as God is righteous, so is his word. His word is righteous. Number two, the external word makes us righteous. That's what the word upright means. It makes us righteous when we read his word. And we can see the same thing in 2 Timothy, uh, verse, um, yeah, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, where God says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So I'm going to point out three things in these verses. Number one, the external word comes from God. That seems evident enough. Number two, the external word trains us in righteousness. And then number three, the external word equips us to live godly lives. Hmm. God has graciously given us his external word so we would be made like him and live like him. The external word is the means in which the spirit who dwells in us transforms us to be like Jesus. The means in which God has ordained you and I to become more like him is through obedience to his word. And by obedience, I mean obedience that comes through faith. It's an obedience that comes through faith in God. This means that you and I will not grow in our faith apart from the word of God. In fact, we need the word of God in order to grow deeper in our faith. The number one question we should ask anyone who is struggling in their faith is, how are you doing in the Word? It really bugs me when Nick asks me that question, whenever I'm having a struggle. That's the very, I mean, how many of you has he asked that question to? Okay, there's a few of us. How are you doing in the Word today? It's such an accounting question that he asks, and it's a question that each of us in here should ask one another as well when we're struggling in our faith. Because I'm going to tell you, you're not alone. So I'm going to point out something else here. Interestingly, the external word of God is likened to light. Um, is there anything else likened to light in Scripture? And by that, let's read Psalm 119, verse 105. We're going to jump way ahead on this one. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. 
Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The external word reveals to us a path, the way that we are to walk as believers. In other words, the external word is the means in which the Spirit uses to show us that we live by faith. And so that is how the word of God is likened to light. And is there anything else that's likened to light in Scripture? Yes, there is, of course. In John 8, 12, Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. And in 1 John 1, 5, we read that God is light. The external word produces joy and trains us in righteousness because it reveals to us the incarnate word, Jesus Christ. The external word is about revealing and instructing us to live like Jesus Christ. And it's through his word that we see that Jesus is the son of God who came from heaven to earth to die for our sins and that we would be saved. That all-powerful saving truth is, found, is only found in the external word. Not only does the external word reveal to us Jesus, but it's through the external word that we are to be transformed and to live more like Jesus. What this means is that the purpose of the external word is not to tell us what to do in every situation, but rather how to live like Jesus. I'm going to say that one more time. Let this one sink in. What this means is that the purpose of the external word is not to tell us what to do in every situation, but rather how to live like Jesus. And that's why it's not a dictionary, it's not a textbook, but it's relational. So I'm going to illustrate this a little bit. The external word is not going to tell you which job to take. For those of us who like to say that I'm going to read the scripture and see which job I should have. Um, It's not going to tell us what college to go to. It's not going to tell us which car to buy. It's not going to tell us um, uh, where to go on vacation. Um, But the external word is going to transform our hearts and minds so that we would think like Jesus and thus know how to make those decisions. It's relational. So that we can think like Jesus, we know how to make those decisions. As husbands and as wives, as men and women, boys, girls, young and old, there is nothing more important for us than the external word of God. It is through his word that we will know how to love our families, to persevere in the faith, to rejoice in persecution, and to respond to those of different religions. And if you're here and you have children, there is no greater parenting task than to read the external word with your children. Teach your children to love the word is to teach them to love Jesus. I think that's really interesting because in many respects, we're all children. We all need to be taught to read the word of God. We all need to be taught how to develop that relationship with him, to get to know God more to be able to think like Jesus. Now, I'm going to start wrapping some things up here. So we're, we're starting to hit the, the end of our marathon. Um, in the 16th century, the word of God was being attacked. Isn't that weird? In the 16th century, the word of God was being attacked. Isn't that something that we talk about still today, that the word of God is still being attacked? There are some churches who simply do not preach the word. They're out there. They're not preaching the word. There are other churches who have taken it upon themselves to change the teachings of God's word. The Catholic Church unapologetically rejects sola scripture. The world rejects God's word and is becoming increasingly hostile against the word. 
The Mormons believe God's word is fallible. Islam also believes the Bible is corrupt. Within the church, many view the external word like a self-help book. You just pick it up whenever you have a problem. There's a popular uh, pastor that just recently said, if certain things in the Bible didn't happen, like the walls of Jericho didn't really fall, that doesn't matter. We still believe God's word is true. Ooh, that just doesn't even sound right to me. And that's pretty much the stupidest statement you're ever going to hear in a church. I'm just going to throw that one out there. Um, If the external word comes from the breath of God, so we would know the incarnate word, then it all must be true. All of it must be true. Otherwise, we don't have a perfect and infallible God. We just don't. If we can't look back into Scripture and not believe it to be true. So this is what's really going to be funny. Nick shares a story, and I'm going to share this with you. Um, how many of you heard of the six blind men touching an elephant? Really? I've never heard that story before in my entire life. But I'm going to share it with you right now. Okay, so there's a, the blind men, if you have heard of this story before, and if you haven't, there's these six blind men, and they represent people of different religions. Each blind man is touching a part of the elephant and gives his interpretation of what he feels. One is going to touch the elephant's side and is going to say that it's a great wall. Another one is going to touch the trunk and says it's a tree branch. Another touches its ear and says it's a great fan. The tail is a rope and the leg is a tree trunk and the tusk is some solid pipe. I've never heard that story before, but I actually really like it. Um, And the idea is that all religions are the same. They're giving their best shot at how to make sense of the world but there's at least two major problems with this analogy. Number one, the story is told from a position's position of omniscience. There really isn't an elephant. Excuse me, there really is an elephant. So while the person is giving their best shot, they're all wrong. And secondly, what happens if the elephant speaks? If the elephant says, I am an elephant, then we know it is an elephant. We can deny it, but the truth is, it's still an elephant. And get this, our God has spoken. He is not quiet. He has given us his external word as the infallible authority for our lives. He's given us his, his external word that we would be full of joy. He's given us his external word that we would be made more like him. He's given us his external word that we would know him and have faith in him. And he has given us his external word that we would see and believe in the incarnate word that is Jesus Christ. So many people today say they just wish they could hear the voice of God. Don't buy into that lie. God has spoken, and he is still speaking to us through his word. Luther said, let the man who would hear God speak, read Holy Scripture. If you want to hear God speak, If you're missing that in your heart, read his word. So at the end of your your notes here, there's six easy steps on how to read scripture and how to develop that relationship. And that first one is to pray. Pray before you read. Ask God to open your heart, open your mind, be ready to what you're going to absorb. 
Obviously, step two is going to be to read it. Crack open his word. Read the scripture. And then number three, in your head. Get it in your head. What do I learn about God? Start asking yourself these questions. What am I learning about God? How am I getting to know God? What am I getting to learn about Jesus? How am I getting to know Jesus? Uh, What am I getting to learn about me? How is this affecting me? How is this changing me? Number four, read it with your heart. Read it with your mind. Read it with your heart. What am I to believe? Am I to believe his sovereignty? Am I to believe in his goodness? Am I to believe in sinfulness? What am I to believe? Read it with your heart. Number five, your hands. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with the word after you read it? You have it in your mind. You have it in your heart. What are you going to do with your hands? That's number five, with your hands. What are you going to do with it after you read it? Are you going to keep it to yourself? Are you going to share it with others? What am I to do with this truth? And then finally, number six, the last one, is we pray. We pray again. Say a prayer to let it sink in, to develop that relationship. Tell God that you're happy to have that relationship with him and that you're developing that relationship even more. So it is at this time that I'm going to pray, and then we're going to lead into communion, and then we'll go into our offering. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for this time this morning. Thank you for this opportunity for us to to get to know you. Father, that we have the external word, that we have, it's not just a book, it's not a textbook, it's not a dictionary. It is how we develop relationship with you. It's, Father, it's how we get to know you. Father, we have these times in our lives that our, our faith just feels weak, that we just don't feel close to you. Father, help us as if we're on our own that we can remember to just to open the book, to be able to read with you. Father, help us to share that with others so that we can have friends and brothers and sisters in Christ who can, who can hold each other accountable. That, Father, that we can, we can have fr- uh, these times that we can share with, with our friends one-on-one to, just to be able to, to share where our struggles are and that we can read the word together. Father, help us to remember these times when they seem dark, but also through joy that we can have this time with you, that we can, we can read your external word, fill it with our head, in our head, and fill it in our hearts and, and do work with it with our hands. Father, we thank you and we love you. And we say this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So I'm going to ask the the four men who offered to come and help with communion this morning to come down as we lead in communion this morning. Awesome. We'll pick sides. So I knew that I was going to be leading communion this morning. That one was was the no-brainer. Uh, and then it was later that Stephanie gave me this look as she was up here. And it was like one of those looks that you know, oh no, something is about to happen. I got that this morning. And so good. He is so good. Um, so thankful that you are here. 
um, as we break out this morning, just know that you can go in peace and knowing that you have God's infallible word to lean upon, to develop that relationship with him. Share that time with your friends, with your family, and get to know him better. Father, we thank you so much for this time. We lift up the Jacksons and so many others who are struggling with health today. Lord, help us to remember that in our heart and in our mind that we have you, that we have your son, Jesus Christ, that we have you in our hearts, Father, that we can share that because we know that your word is infallible, that the external word that you've given to us to to read upon, to reflect upon, is a way to develop that relationship with you. We pray this in the name of your son. Amen. Have a wonderful Sunday. Go Eagles!